pandemics, global supply chain issues, cyberware attacks, inflation, the big quit. The list of disruptions goes on and on. We're living in a different world. It's more complex and moving faster than ever. This podcast is to help guide you through these turbulent times to ensure your organization can survive and thrive by becoming disruption-proof. So a lot of the a lot of the talking I've been doing recently is all part of this idea of digital transformation. So recent topics have included the rise of product management and how do we transform support functions, rethinking how we delegate work as managers. Uh, what do we mean by rapid experimentation? How do you engage with customers these days? Uh, and into innovation topics like opportunity discovery and uh, and what metrics we should be looking at to, to ensure that we're succeeding in our endeavors. So all of this is sort of part of digital transformation. A lot of these things came out of the startup world. So that's really where I got my start, living through the dot-com boom and bust. And you saw back in those days, the rise of uh, digital, uh, the rise of design thinking, uh, agile practices emerging, um, product management just starting out. Uh, and of course, we've seen all of these things uh, expand tremendously as the world becomes more digital. And I think it's important to understand that that, that is really what's causing these fundamental changes. So digital transformation is like a a massive wave. It's like a tsunami that rolls over everything. So generally, when we think of waves, waves actually aren't moving water. It's actually a, a force that moves underneath the water. If you're ever sitting out in the ocean uh, and the wave isn't actually crashing on you, but you're beyond the where the wave crashes, you can feel the power of the swell move uh, underneath you. It's really kind of cool. It's pretty extraordinary. And the swell will carry you forward a little bit, and then it kind of draws you back. You haven't really moved much. Then the same with the kelp that might be around you. Uh, and eventually, of course, the wave crashes, and in, and in concert with the tides, water does move forward up onto the beach, and then it's drawn back again. And you are perhaps moved incrementally. Uh, depending on a host of conditions, you might be dumped on the shore itself or you might be carried out to sea. Um, so most waves are, are wind waves. Uh, and so the waves that you're seeing are, are wind waves. They can rise up to being 100 feet just being wind waves. And the swells that are created by uh, all of these forces and dynamics are, you know, can travel thousands of miles. A tsunami is different. A, a tsunami is actually created by a large displacement of water, like, for example, an earthquake uh, or even, you know, volcanic activity. And the displacement of water means massive amounts of water are moving in that case. And of course, it can devastate uh, shorelines. The water acts more like a, a rising tide, um, but it's a huge rising tide and really isn't affected by gravitational pulls like, like normal tides are. So the tsunami waves are something different. And uh, I, I think that digital transformation is, is more like a tsunami than a wind wave. 
Um, and here, perhaps the analogy has run its course and breaks down. Um, the tsunami reaches the far corners of the earth, but it's as if we are not, we are all now connected by the sea, this ocean. What used to be regional disruptions, say like wind waves, uh, affect the whole world. I mean, so this is sort of the fundamental change that this digital transformation tsunami has caused. So like, if you consider the last several years, pandemic, remote work, big quit, cyber attacks, privacy concerns, supply chain issues, inflation, you know, what else can you think of? Just, uh, you know, economic cycles, these things that have always occurred at some level, uh, now affect us in a bigger way and more, it, it affects more of us. It's happening on the other side of the world. You know, a ship gets stuck in a canal and, and we've got, you know, supply chain issues and, uh, and that affects pricing and it affects delivery of goods and it ripples through the economy and it ripples all over the world. So I think that one of the, one of the macro factors of digital transformation is that it allows sort of the smaller normal, quote unquote, normal disruptions to impact all over the world now. And so I think thinking about digital transformation in this way, you've got sort of three angles I think about. One is the technology itself. And so if you imagine, you know, you can track progression of digital transformation of technology from, you know, huge room-sized computers in the 40s, 50s to now, you know, nanotechnology. You, the progression has gone from, you know, massive mathematical computations that were beyond the capabilities of individual humans to being uh, able to be one of, you know, millions of people who like posts on Facebook claiming that COVID vaccines mutate human DNA. I mean, like, think about the one side of this advanced mathematics beyond the capability of human comprehension to uh, participating with millions of others in support of a conspiracy theory. It's quite, quite extraordinary. And then another angle of digital transformation is from the consumer perspective. So you have just massive amounts of, of information to the point of perhaps information overload uh, and a competition for that attention span. The potential for increased knowledge, of course, which is great, but also misinformation and disinformation. A myriad of product choices, which also can be great, but also perhaps leads to frustration and confusion. Customers are extraordinarily agile these days. So their ability to change products or vendors overnight. And this is whether you're a, a consumer or even a you know business to business transactions. Businesses can change from one CRM to another 
in a very short period of time compared to the past. So that agility gives the customer really an extraordinary amount of power, which I think is a, is a good thing. There's a high expectation of mon among customers for tailored solutions. So things that address my particular workflows or my particular needs or my particular desires and aspirations. But there's also an increased level of frustration, perhaps, that things not working the way they're advertised or the way they should. We've seen an increase, I think, in, in, uh, in mental health issues, isolation and loneliness, confusion. So positive and ne negative aspects, I think, to all of this digital transformation and really trying to figure out our place in this world. Consider the difference between buying a car in the 20s or 30s to buying one today. Think about the models and the uh, options and the colors and, and all of these things that go into the power to make these choices and the, the requirement that businesses actually get down to that level of competition. Uh, but also just the feeling of being inundated with all of those options and choices. So there's the, the, the this consumer side, and then there's the way we do business, which I think is still largely based upon that idea of how cars were manufactured and, and sold in the 20s. So we have customers that have this limited attention span. They have a lot of knowledge. They have to navigate choices. They're agile in that they can change who their vendor is. They have their own needs and desires that they wish to be filled. Some are conscious, some are unconscious. They have their experiences with these products. So think about the, the you know, you're considering the difference in the, in the buying the car. Now, not, the change from the consumer perspective is not just in terms of all the cool new things that it can do, but in the 24 cup holders, but the, again, the models, colors, options, the marketing, financing, how the cars are delivered or distributed, the constant upselling, the managing and the monitoring and the services of the cars. And think about the, the experience that it has, that consumers go through in all of those things. So this user experience has become super important. And so if you look at all of these things, the experiences and the emotions related to the needs and the desires, the choices, business management is typically still, okay, here's how you're going to work. Here are the tasks. I need you to get these done by a particular date. We need to increase the output. We need to lower our costs. We need you to work harder. Here, use this AI. <laughs> In other words, like, Let's throw more technology at it. And then I think as businesses struggle to compete based upon creating value, they look to acquire. So reorganizations and acquisitions in order to demonstrate financial results in the short term to Wall Street. 
So there's some pretty large gaps, I think, between what the customer angle of digital transformation is and, and the way businesses traditionally work. So we're seeing a lot of changes in that, obviously. But so what are some of those changes? So there are trends in various companies. I don't know that anybody is doing all of these things, but there's, there's the intentional, conscious development of cross-functional teams to tackle the uncertainty that's being caused by the changes in customer behavior, the changes in market. There's increased complexity requires interdisciplinary skills. There's an the ideas, uh, the ideas of, of increasing employee empowerment, in other words, allowing employees to make more decisions and to figure out what work needs to be done in order to accomplish objectives. There's been a lot of attempts at trying to establish metrics that measure outcomes, things like KPIs and OKRs, even though, as we've talked about in the past, those tend to trend towards output measurements so no matter what <laughs> no matter what label we put them on uh they tend to devolve as you go down the stack from you know leaders to to the ground floor the metrics tend to devolve from outcome based to output based uh we need business management then that that uh, that understands uh, empathy, not only from the perspective of consumers, but of their workers. In order to accomplish overcoming uncertainty and complexity, we need to build in these levels of exploration work in making decisions based upon evidence rather than just on, on hunches or biases or assumptions, finding what that balance between equilibrium, the equilibrium between exploration work and execution work, and then an, an ethical component in order to keep our customers safe, to keep them, to help them with these, their own tr transformation in the light of the frustration and the isolation and and these other things that uh, that are sort of the negative side of digital transformation and leaders that walk the talk and that can manufacture or to manage communications flow not just downstream in the traditional way but upstream and horizontally across the other parts of the organization there's a very strategic element to this communications flow that I think is one of the major gaps in transformations that businesses are attempting to go through. And part of the need then is that if you're successful in creating more cross-functional and empowering teams where they're needed, is that the management becomes more strategic. Instead of fighting fires, they are actually aligning resources and the work to what the desired outcomes are, to what company priorities are. And then when we get down to the, the actual work that is being performed, it's based upon 
empathy that understands customers deeply, that understands what those needs and desires, what the fears and frustrations are, in order to respond to their ability to change vendors, their, their needs to actually have their specific needs addressed, the niches that are formed in the market based upon those tailored needs. This means that you have to understand customers in a, in a, in a way deeper sense. Simply marketing based upon demographics it doesn't really work anymore in that regard. And then there's the idea of experimentation. So part of your exploration work is exposing the assumptions that are going into products and marketing and selling and, and distribution and supply chain. All of these things based upon how we used to do them are now assumptions that need to be validated. The work then that, that is being done is producing evidence, evidence for changes in the market, evidence for what we should be doing product-wise and marketing-wise. And then we need the decisions, of course, being based upon partly at least informed by the evidence. And the work needs to be agile. So it's as, as employees are able to explore they need to find the right balance between execution and exploration in order to achieve the outcomes. They need to continuously improve their work. They need to intentionally and consciously share what they've learned and what the outcomes are. And of course, that, that goes into the communications flow that I've mentioned earlier in the sense that the, the evidence is being built from the ground. It needs to be shared with others that are making, prioritizing uh, work and, and objectives and horizontally to inform uh, work that's being done in, in other parts of the organization. And, and this requires, again, a conscious and intentional flow of communications that is really counter to, you know, the history of of business communications up to this point, to be honest. But then these teams also must be accountable to the outcomes. I've, I have sort of an interesting relationship with the word accountability because it, there's a lot of people that view that as a negative word. And I think that the premise comes from leaders using the word accountability when applied to people that work with them without giving them the tools and resources and, and, and the space to figure out the right work to achieve those outcomes. And so the, these things are, are interesting, two sides to a coin, the empowerment and the accountability. You really can't have one without the other, but it also means that these agile teams have to accept the accountability uh, for the things that they can control. And so that also then says that the, the, the missions of those teams, the outcomes of those teams must be uh, tailored to uh, 
those resources allocated and those achievable outcomes. Uh, the other part of it then is, is building in ethics to the level of work, not that it lives on the website only as aspirational, but that improving the lives, creating value for customers, keeping them safe. I sort of put safe in, in scare quotes because it's not, it's mentally, it's emotionally safe. Uh, and then it's also the equilibrium is bringing a balance to life. I think that there is, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the term work-life balance. Uh, work is part of life and life includes work. And so it's not a balance between those things, but it's a balance, it's equilibrium among all of the things that make us contented, uh, productive human beings. Um, and I think that this is one of the lessons that I, I hope we haven't missed of the remote work driven by COVID is that there are many factors that make us complete human beings. We're more productive in work when we are complete human beings. And so figuring out how to manage one's life on a day-to-day -day or week-by-week -week basis that includes all of those things that make us contented human beings is what is going to maximize productivity in the long term. And like a lot of these things, we have a natural tendency towards that, but it sort of is, society sort of dr drives it out of us. Uh, and so that's too bad, obviously, but the positive aspect of it is that you can learn these behaviors, you could be taught these behaviors, you can practice these behaviors, and there's an innateness in us with those abilities. And so we're just really reconnecting to parts that make us completely human. And so this is sort of the summary that gets us to the point of the human side of digital transformation. Uh, and that is that we need to reconnect with the innate part of human beings uh, in our work and in our life management that then is reflected in the products that we build and the services and how we market and how we sell. And I don't wish to sound too utopian here, but I do think that there are, again, I, there are ways to, to teach and practice and find that behavior again uh, that allows us to be then very productive and create value in the world uh, as individuals, but also as businesses. And so there's micro and macro things that, that sort of need to go on in order to create that environment. But there are also just simply things that we can do as individuals and as leaders uh, and 
as businesses to to find that again, to make that part of the daily life and the daily routine. And it's possible to create positive spirals in the world that lead us to the very best of even, you know, again, a macro word, even to the best of capitalism, which I think is at the very basic level, uh, creating creating value, uh, creating products and services based upon our own specialization that benefit other human beings. I think that that is also foundational to who we are. And, uh, and so we need to create, again, sort of at a macro level, systems that create that environment for the proper equilibrium. And, uh, and it is not just, you know, sort of hands off, quote unquote, laissez-faire, uh, but actually gaming the referees and gaming the systems so that those are the outputs that are uh, incentivized and that naturally flow from the systems. But that is perhaps a whole nother book. <laughs> uh, what can we do as individuals and leaders to foster this environment within our own control is sort of the, the, the question here then. And, um, and something that I think that moves the needle and, and all of the people that have uh, worked with me over the years have always been passionate about and, and uh, have, are committed to um, And so I think that uh, the way we look at the world is view what we term lean innovation. And the lean innovation is really this specific combination of this blend of the best of design thinking and, and rapid experimentation and agile practices in order to learn and practice the behavior that enables us to understand customers deeply, to bust through our own assumptions and biases uh, in order to drive impact. And the impact is driven to not only the world, hopefully, some element of the world, but also to our businesses, to our business stakeholders. And so there's a this mythology around maximizing shareholder value, which is, you know, not some sort of legal requirement, uh, even though many think that it is, but that if focused on the mission of a business, all businesses have missions. Uh, Uber's mission, you know, to transport people is not conflicted with the mission of cooking hamburgers at a fast food joint, those businesses have different missions. And it's the accomplishment of those missions that creates value, not only for the recipients of the services and products, but also for the other stakeholders inside the business, including shareholders. And so we've sort of lost touch between the investment into a mission, which Again, it's not a social mission necessarily. 
it's why the business is in business. That is what we're investing in is the, the financial outcomes of a mission as opposed to the financial outcomes by itself. Um, but so the lean innovation side of that is something that we can all start with in our own individual lives as well as in the teams that we participate on, the work we participate on, or the teams and the work that we manage. And this all sounds maybe a little bit highfalutin, but the idea is simply this. You're faced with some amount of uncertainty. That uncertainty just means that you're not sure what the solution for a particular challenge is. The challenge could be small. The challenge could be, you know, how do I get the design team to interact in a more positive, productive way with the manufacturing team? It could be, how do I improve the productivity of a particular team themselves? How could I, how could we lower costs in a particular function without stressing my people out or without diminishing the outcomes that that group produces. So uncertainty is simply not knowing. And they could be relatively small or they can be huge. How do we invent new technology that will benefit the world? How will we capture a particular market? How will we move into a new geography? So these things can be small or large, but the idea is, is to tackle the uncertainty head on. And of course, there's different ways of tackling the uncertainty. The uncertainty could be, well, let's go find the expert. They have recent experience in overcoming that challenge. Perhaps there's something that we can learn from them. Uh, and maybe even if it's not recent experience, we can say, well, that seems reasonable. Let's see if that works in our current scenarios. So we're not necessarily starting from scratch. We're benefiting from the expertise of other people that are out there. We're benefiting from the proven the proven execution of best practices, quote unquote, but we're willing to adopt them in order to actually overcome the uncertainty that we're actually facing today. So that's one way of tackling it. Another way of tackling it is to understand that there's potentially not one right answer. Uh, and so this is more, you know, complex. And so, the way that we maybe tackle that complexity is to do empathy work. And so we're trying to understand the needs of the customer or stakeholder deeply. What is it that they're trying to accomplish? And so the, the, the empathy work that we're doing is not, it's not, in service to designing a particular solution yet. It's just simply understanding 
the needs, desires, aspirations, the environmental challenges, uh, and this could be for individuals or groups of people or whole populations. And obviously the complexity varies based upon those, but the first step is to understand those things as deeply as possible. And so there's a lot of design thinking techni uh, techniques that can help do that. Uh, observation, card sorting, uh, interviews, uh, just a myriad of different ingenious tactics that people use in order to understand customers deeply. What they aren't are, are superficial focus groups or superficial surveys or even superficial interviews. We tend to try to get to learnings, quote unquote, from a lot of people that are very shallow rather than deeper learnings among a few. And the higher the complexity is, in my opinion, the deeper one must go. And so it's better to go deep in a few in order to illustrate or in order to create hypotheses that you think those behaviors represent a larger constituency. And then you can start using the, the more broad techniques in order to validate what you've learned in the smaller ways, uh, in the deeper ways. And so that's, uh, that's not, you know, some sort of a checkbox item that once you've connected and done your design thinking work or your empathy work that you're done with it, now you get to move on to the building phase. It's one of those things that is necessary for our, all parts of creating solutions, whether they be, you know, products or services or even, again, sort of more macro uh, experiences. Um, it's not only the the product, but it's also the marketing and the selling and the distribution and and even turning those things in a B2B fashion into the supply chain and the sourcing and uh, operational aspects and facilities and all of these things that are built up in order to support the business to solving or addressing these human needs. So just like startups, you're, you're, you're starting small and deep and you're learning where the opportunities are and, and you're choosing the opportunities on one axis based upon whether you can demonstrate that, that these needs are, are held by larger swaths of populations, market segments that will support a business. But so that's the empathy work, the experiment work then is really how you test. You're testing what people will do rather than what they say they'll do. You're testing whether your assumptions are true or not. And so there's a number of ways to expose the assumptions around any aspect inside of a business model related to the uncertainty. And so again, there's, there's lower amounts of uncertainty where you may have assumptions, but there's good evidence for those assumptions. And so part of the process of rapid experimentation is to divide the, the assumptions into 
where is the where is it that we have not enough evidence to decide whether an assumption is true or not and the assumptions that are true and those again can be based on recent experience they can based be based upon knowing what else is going on in the environment or the, the ecosystem those that are known are what we can execute on those that are unknown the assumptions that are unknown are what we need to run experiments on and so the experiments also can range in size from very little experiments you know the sort of the classic landing page that is essentially testing you know does a particular market segment identify with particular messaging around a need and a way to address that need uh, and the, so the Lissable landing page is, is a very quick experiment that can be run that tests whether there's a viability there somewhere around solving or addressing a particular need. Two experiments can be very big, you know, where it requires significant prototyping, where it requires specific development of tools or technologies uh, in order to see if they actually address a particular need. Uh, a lot of that is actually science, but it's applying that, that same rigor to science everywhere where assumptions exist, where the assumptions don't have evidence that they're valid. And so we're trying to create experiments across the, the spectrum of levels of uncertainty, whether that uncertainty is, is technical or operational or market. A lot of us work in areas that don't require technology invention or that the operational aspects have been largely figured out. In other words, assumptions have been validated. And really where the assumptions exist is in the market. And so how do you develop experiments that validate assumptions on the marketing side without building the complete product and launching it and finding out that that was a failed experiment. That's an expensive, time-consuming, resource-wasting experiment. In other words, it's not lean. And so the way that we, we try to tackle that is by running experiments that emulate the behavior that is required by our stakeholder, by our beneficiary of whatever product or, or service or solution that we're developing. And so we're looking for analogies that indicate that an assumption is true or not. So if somebody clicks on a, a buy now button on a landing page, even though the product doesn't exist, the, the behavior is indic indicative that they find value in the way someone is messaging their solution and so that's one again one side of an experiment but but think about restaurants that uh test new ingredients uh new recipes at, at in, in farmers markets or pop-up stores uh there's really an infinite number of ways of testing the behavior of beneficiaries to see that they are prone towards 
buying a solution. And so what we're trying to do is figure out, again, all across the business model, where are the unproven assumptions and how can we create an analogous experience that indicates that our beneficiary is going to take an action. And so the, the type of experiments begin very small and grow to the point of sharing a minimum of viable product with a group of early adopters. So despite Reed Hoffman saying, if you're, <laughs> if you're not embarrassed about releasing your product, then you know, you've waited too long. I, I don't think that that's really true. I think we wanna intentionally build, move the move, uh, minimum viable products when there's enough evidence that suggests that's the appropriate next step and that we're bringing that to people who want to see things early, uh, the early adopters. And then that, that experimentation, just like the empathy work, never really stops because there's always assumptions that have not been validated throughout the whole business model. And again, we can turn that from not only who our direct beneficiaries are, the customer or the user, but also to the operational side of the business, internal customers as well as partners. Uh, and we involve them in this expansive idea of empathy work and, and experimentation. We proselytize. We, we help our partners work in the same way so that we're not, you know, the, the true agility, the ability of companies to change based upon new information is limited by those that cannot change. And so uh, if you have suppliers that cannot change, then that limits the extent of your own agility. And so we need to, we eventually hope to proselytize and to expand that lean innovation practices out beyond the borders of an organization, which also speaks to some of the bigger, more macro uh, uncertainties that all of this digital transformation creates because design really needs to tackle not only the user experience of an individual uh, or in customers related to a particular product or company, but also the whole ecosystem within which that product exists. And I think, uh, for example, one of the most uh, interesting and obvious examples is healthcare. Healthcare includes tons of different companies and products. And, you know, the first time you walk into a doctor's office as part of a larger health issue, perhaps, uh, it's really incredible the vast array of resources that you're interacting with. And eventually one hopes that we design at that larger level. But so those are the things that I really wanted to tackle were the how the lean innovation plays into all of that, uh, into that uncertainty and that complexity, both large and small. And it's something that we can start today or you already have started that there are teams already in your organization doing. And so we look to ways to shine a light on that work and expand that from within 
as well as teaching the behavior and practicing the behavior so that it becomes this norm. And it really drives impact, not only for our customers, but also for the businesses. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Proof Podcast. My mission is to help as many business leaders and startup founders as I can grapple with the increased complexity and uncertainty in the business world. It would mean a lot to me if you could please leave a review of the show and share it with friends and colleagues. Wishing you all the best and remember, be kind first.